Welcome to Happy to Be Here, your mental health starter kit podcast. I'm letting you into a conversation with a friend today. I met Mina last year while we were doing a branded partnership together and have stayed connected since. We have a lot in common and we're letting you into some of the well-being topics today. We talk about moving cross-country, managing your wellness expectations, the power of Brene Brown, and that Stutz documentary on Netflix, plus a lot more. I'm Vivian, this is Happy to Be Here, and here's my conversation with wellness content creator and friend, Mina. I'm really excited to be on this episode, mostly because it's like a friend meets creator meets like, I feel like you've just been putting so much goodness onto your social media platforms um, that this is both like just like a really nice coffee conversation and also a podcast at the same time. Yeah, no, definitely. I love that. I feel like we can talk and it's just pure conversation. It doesn't feel yeah. like an interview or any kind of formal <laughs> thing. Yeah. I know. And it's really interesting because you and I both met on Instagram, actually, through like a, a Logitech partnership we were doing together at the time. Um, but wait, let's go ahead and introduce you first before we dive into that. <laughs> stuff. So, oh gosh, I feel like this introduction thing has evolved so many times over the years, but yeah. I'm Mina. Um, I now live in California after being in New York for 14 years. And um, in terms of what I do, I'm technically a full-time creator. That kind of spans across the board to a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. blog, Instagram, social media. And um, as I've spoken about with Viv, hopefully pop podcaster soon. Yes. Uh, so that is my main full-time thing. And I live in LA now um, with my fiance and my very cute Corgi um, and our little family here. And yeah, that's kind of the gist of who I am. I feel like we've really bonded over so many things, wellness, dog mom life, but also just living in New York and then moving out of New York. How's that transition been for you? Not going to lie, the beginning, I would say, so we're coming up almost on a year. And in the beginning, especially, I would say even through end of 2022, it was a harder adjustment, I think, than I anticipated. Mm. I feel like at first, everyone's like, it'll take some time to settle in. And there was the craze of the move. And we were lucky enough to be able to purchase out here. So then, you know, there were all the new things that come with being a new homeowner and mm-hmm. actually having a house, which is very different than what you deal with yes. in New York. There are things like a yard and <laughs> all of that that you learn to kind of manage. And so there was a big adaptation when it came to that. Mm-hmm. And things were just so busy that I feel like neither of us had a chance to actually set down roots, establish routines, and make it feel like home. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's felt very much like we treated it like it was going to be a temporary part of our Mm -hmm. lives. And I think this year, we both agreed to take the perspective of, you know what, we're giving California a real shot. We are trying to make this our home for Mm -hmm. however the foreseeable future is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like that attitude has definitely transferred over. And I felt a lot better about it already this past month. That's amazing. And it's hard. I mean, we did a West Coast move in the middle of a pandemic when we moved from New York to Portland for a bit. And we were in Portland for, I want to say like nine months or something before we had to move back east in like a week for a job opportunity for my boyfriend. Don't recommend moving in a week cross country, but that's a story (laughs) for another time. Um, (laughs) But I will say, I think that that transition when you're leaving New York specifically is a really hard one because you Mm -hmm. kind of compare everything to that first love. Yeah, pretty much. And New York is just so unlike any other place. And regardless of whatever gripes you have with it, whatever difficulties there are with the day-to-day life there, it's just so unique. And if New York is a good fit for you, 
it's really hard to untangle that, I think, and get used to another place, regardless of if the other place is more convenient or easier. Mm -hmm. You're still like, this just doesn't make sense. (laughs) How did that impact a lot of like your wellness routines? Like so much of your content is really geared towards well-being and wellness. And I'm curious if you saw a shift in a transition from moving from New York to California and what that was. I think there were definitely pros and cons mm-hmm. of it, both upsides and not the weather here. I mean, granted, we've had like a month of rain here recently, <laughs> which is very bizarre. But the sunshine definitely does a huge impact basically on my mood, my mental health. Having that sunshine and being able to almost count on being able to go outside every day. Mm-hmm. Like whereas when you lived in New York, it'd be like, oh, I have to check the forecast. This is going to be gross out. I don't mm-hmm. want to go outside and do stuff. Um, whereas here I feel like you can kind of count on it being at least, you know, moderately good climate. And so, I mean, we take our dog for walks daily. So I feel like I actually get outside and walk a good amount, but compared to New York where walking is just woven into everything, all of your running Mm -hmm. errands, whatever you're doing, going to meetings, it's just so ingrained so that I see that my steps have definitely taken a nosedive overall. Um, So I'm not as physically active just throughout the day because I work from home. So I think in that way, I'm still adjusting. I'm like, okay, I have to make more of an active effort to schedule in activity, physical activity for myself. Having space here in California has also been really beneficial for my mental health because both my fiance and I work from home. And so being able to have a little bit more of a separate space has been helpful. Um, but then also for me to be able to do a little bit more of my wellness stuff, things do feel a little bit slower pace here overall. Mm-hmm. So I will say that has helped um, in terms of, you know, how urgent I feel like everything is on a daily yeah. basis. I just read a book. Um, it's 4,000 Weeks, and I forget the name of the author, but it's basically a time management book. And he talks a lot about that sense of urgency that we place on time and how – American and just like (laughs) how American and like modern society that is because like time is just a thing like it isn't something we actually ever own um and I think that that has really skewed my perspective on wellness for the same reason I remember when we moved to Portland probably one of the first days that we were there after like the moving craze kind of died down I walked outside and I was like wow like I'm not immediately anxious when I walk out the door and I thought that was just me Turns out it was like the city I was living in just immediate. And I I grew up in New York. So it was Mm -hmm. where I had lived for 20 something years of my life. And that shift really is something that you learn. Do I like this level of like calm and quiet or do I need more stimulation in my life? Right now we're living right outside of New York and Connecticut. And it feels for right now, at least like the perfect combination of being outside of the city enough, but still amongst it where you have some of that energy coming and feeding you. But I think when it comes to our wellness routines, we are so at hand of what is happening around us. And like you do such a good job in your content of really grounding, I think, your community and your followers. And you can only really be where you are right now. So like make the most of that experience. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that is a mindset I've grown into over the last five plus years learning to kind of go with the flow, respect where I am with things instead of trying to force myself into some version of what I think I needed to be in that moment. A lot of the time, I think I I prided myself a lot on my ability to be productive and to do a million things at once, to always be busy. 
And once I kind of started untangling that, I realized that a lot of my expectations of myself were still aligned with that version of myself Mm. where I expected myself to be super hardcore about and regimented about my working out and expecting myself to do certain things to a certain standard. Whereas now I'm like, okay, where am I at right now? My expectation, if I haven't worked out, (laughs) you know, in a little Mm -hmm. while, my expectation can't be that I just pick up where I left off before and expect myself to feel the same way. It just kind of sets yourself up for failure. And I think a lot of us tend to view that sometimes as lowering our expectations and we hesitate doing that because we feel like we're letting ourselves off easy. But I think it's more about meeting yourself where you're at and something that maybe wasn't difficult for you might be challenging now. And so that is what stimulus you need and what, you know, challenge you need at that given time. That's enough, you know? Yeah, the circumstances of your life change. I mean, that's just like life, (laughs) right? So (laughs) it it is normal then to have to revisit the practices and habits that you incorporate into your day-to-day life because the circumstances of your life change. That being said, the guilt is still very present, right? Like that sense of like dissonance and guilt of, wait, I'm not living up to the thing I was living up to six months ago, but I'm also not the same person I was six months ago. How Mm -hmm. do you navigate that level of guilt particularly both working in the well-being space, it being such a prized thing in your personal life and kind of just trying to navigate both? Yeah, I think in my head, I almost compartmentalize it a bit to the things that I feel like are necessary to my health because for those of people listening who don't know, I have two chronic health conditions. So there is a baseline of things that I kind of have to do in the overarching sense within a week to make sure that I'm feeling somewhat baseline okay. And so those are kind of my non-negotiable things that I can't miss out on and things that I don't view as like, yeah, I accomplished it. It's just expected. And then there's the stuff that I consider to be, you know, the bonuses on top, which are things like consistent movement, eating super, super well, and planning all these things out. Um, So I think that I feel like I compartmentalize the two. So I have more realistic expectations of myself when it comes to both, depending on what season of life I'm in. And I try to adjust my expectations accordingly. And there's always going to be that, you know, guilt, like you say, like that voice in your head yeah. that references back to maybe comparing yourself to a previous season of life. But, and I don't think that ever goes away. I don't think the goal is to necessarily make that go away altogether, but it's more about like recognizing that thought and being like, okay, wait, let's be real with myself right now. This isn't what the circumstances are right mm-hmm. now. So I cannot kindly and realistically expect that of myself without making myself feel like crap. And that's not going <laughs> yep. to produ- like be productive for anything, any goal, you know? I like the way that you are talking about how you compartmentalize them and how you establish things that are like non-negotiables need to be done versus and also things that are like cherries on top. I think that uh, you probably see this too, but being so in this space, I feel like every video out there is telling you that every single thing should be a non-negotiable. And I said to someone else this week, I'm like, you know, the way that the industry is right now and just like social media in general, it makes you feel like self-care has to be your full-time job. And that is just not realistic. Like no one has the time in the day to be doing all of those things. Mm -hmm. How do you establish what, and those non-negotiables are, and I completely understand also like the privacy that comes with the chronic conditions and like not wanting to open up maybe and share all of it, but just even the mindset of how you're establishing what those things look like. Yeah, I think that is so true what you say that there there's a lot of content out there and 
in the wellness industry, it can very much seem like you have to do all of these things and make them your non-negotiables. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, not be your best self. And (laughs) I think something important to remember is that you can't always be your best self. It's not about hitting that full checklist every single day. I feel like that's not realistic. And I think what, you know, non-negotiables, you know, that establishes a really hard line, but things can kind of move from category to category, you know, Mm -hmm. of what is negotiable and what's non-negotiable. And depending on how busy things are, how, what your mental health is like at that given time, things can kind of move off the list. You know, the least important non-negotiable for, you know, I can be like, you know what, it's okay that I didn't hit that today. That's on this list for right now. And that's okay. So I think with my health conditions, a lot of the time, the baseline stuff, like taking my vitamins, um, Mm. there are some things that I know for sure help me, but I don't necessarily do consistently. Like I have an infrared sauna blanket thing that you know, helps me a lot when it comes to that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain herbs and additional things that I take to help me. And um, there are times where I'm not perfect with that at all. Um, and so for me, I kind of just adjust my expectations of how I'm going to feel accordingly. And yeah. I'm not like, oh, man, you know, like, why don't I feel good? It's like, well, because I, I <laughs> do that stuff. And right. I'm aware that I did not do that stuff this time. And so um, just kind of preparing myself mentally, being like, okay, this is going to be a month where maybe it doesn't feel so great. Um, like my endometriosis, for instance, I'm like heading into like my cycle right now. And I know that there are a couple of things this month where I'm like, mm, but maybe this one's not going to be so pleasant. And I just yeah. have to mentally prepare for that. And it's okay, you know? There's a lot of acceptance in the way that you talk about your own well-being and the stuff that you put out. Um, And I think that that's really beautiful and hard to come by when you are, and I I say this because you talk about this openly too, but like a first-gen human being who comes from an immigrant family, aka me too. So like I know how hard it is to be nice to yourself (laughs) when you grow up in an environment where like as a woman, I think anyone really can relate to this, but really just like the experience of being told, like you kind of have to brunt it, right? You put the, you put it on your shoulders, you kind of go and you go with a smile and having that level of like, no, things are hard sometimes. And like self-compassion is true and I can be self-forgiving is a muscle mm-hmm. that needs to be strengthened. Oh yes. And I am a recovering perfectionist, yeah. actively recovering. It's <laughs> never just done. And as you said, especially with that, you know, children of immigrant mm-hmm. role in my life, I, I definitely struggle more with acceptance, I think, in that regard, because I always feel like I could be doing more and that, you know, for my mom and things like that. And so I think that's something that I struggle with a little bit more. But when it comes to my own efforts, I feel like I really try to take a step back and see the bigger picture and being like, okay, in my overall health and just my total well-being, did this really impact that a lot? Is this something that I can easily, you know, change for the better with these little steps? If so, then there's no use in beating myself up over it right now Mm -hmm. because that's not going to help me. And I think I'm, I do tend to be very pragmatic when it comes to that. I do think about what the net outcome is, you know? And so a lot of the time I'm like, okay, I know that beating myself up doesn't really uh, do well for me in the long run. I've been down that road many times and it helps yeah. for, a li- for a little bit because I do things out of guilt and I feel rushed, but then I immediately burn out again. And I'm like, okay, back to square one. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I know what this result is going to be if I pursue this path of beating myself up. So let's just sidestep let's that. Not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's maybe not do that. Yeah. That's not. And it's hard, right? But I do think it 
it pays off and like what you're saying like the long run right because you're you feel more grounded in your life whenever you do treat yourself nicely it sounds so simple but it is like a very often overlooked part of self-care which is like it's not just everything that you put into your body or that you, you do in combination with other stuff it's honestly how you talk to yourself and that level of self-acceptance and self-talk can be really hard to come by when you when you talk about the things that are kind of cherry on top or actually this is like a two-parter because cherry on top things is what I wanted to ask you about but also like even how you got to this point in terms of like your self-acceptance and your own wellness journey are there books podcasts resources that you were like okay these are the things that helped me in some regard get to this level of well-being I don't know that's like an overarching umbrella term for just being nice to yourself (laughs) um well I know everyone and their mother by now is obsessed with Brene Brown but when I discovered her work back in I think it was early no it was like 2015 so this was when I think her TED talk went viral um Mm. and she had several books out but she wasn't quite the household name kind of figure that she is now I read the uh, book Gifts of Imperfection. Oh my gosh, it's such a good one. That was like my first one Mm -hmm. after watching her TED Talk. And for me, especially because I struggled so much with perfectionism and something that I've worked on in therapy a lot is I felt like there were two parts of me that I couldn't Mm -hmm. integrate that, you know, um, and I don't know if you know Phil Stutz, but I've recently discovered his work. Oh, we can get into that Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But shadow self, basically, you know, the part of me that I felt couldn't be loved or accepted if I did not do some of these behaviors and actions, you know, mm-hmm. and behave in a certain way around others. So with discovering Brene Brown, the gifts of imperfection and understanding the whole shame versus guilt mm-hmm. complex and realizing just how much inner shame I had not only been kind of taught my whole life, because also within Asian culture, that is like used as a tool for motivation. Shame is a huge tool for motivation. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know you're better than this. So like, <laughs> why can't you do that? Um, so growing up with that ingrained in me and then me just also being kind of a high achiever and driven in that way internally, that built up so much shame. So it's like, I was so afraid of that and mm-hmm. I had to be perfect in all of the things Otherwise, my sense of self and my self-worth were very much threatened. And so doing so much work on untangling that fundamentally changed, I think, how I view myself and that self-acceptance that you talk about, because I am now able to separate behavior from identity and Mm. actions from identity. And I do very much believe that we're all responsible for our own actions and the words that we choose to express ourselves Um, But at the same time, I also know that humans are fallible and we all can, you know, make mistakes. We can all behave in ways that we look back on and are like, maybe that wasn't so great. But in accepting that and accepting that that life is full of imperfections and humans will be humans, I have gained a little bit more of self-compassion for myself um, because it doesn't threaten my identity anymore. And I'm much more easily able to take ownership over missteps that I have because it doesn't threaten my identity to do so. Because I'm like, listen, I messed up or like this is a part where, oh, I could have done that better. And but that doesn't, you know, make me feel like I'm a bad person or that I've morally failed. And I think that's a huge separator in how I'm able to take ownership over things and do that kind of compartmentalization of identifying what things really matter. 
that's one of my biggest takeaways from that book too. It was just that sense of like what I feel or how I'm feeling about something or how I'm acting in a certain situation isn't a definer of my identity, right? It just so happens how I showed up in that moment. And I also think that it is a really great, for me at least, it was this great reminder that during seasons where my mental health or is struggling, whether I'm like struggling with depression or my anxiety is at its peak, it makes sense that I probably won't show up to every single encounter as like my best self, quote unquote, right? It makes sense that I maybe snap at my boyfriend a little bit more during those seasons than when I'm not. And, but that, that accountability only comes if I can like separate it from like, it's not who I am always, but it's who I am right now. And that lives with its own like sets of consequences and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think um, to go into studs, I was obsessed with that documentary. I watched it. I think we watched it the morning it came out and my boyfriend sat down next to me. We were just like, this is like a 10 a.m. screening on like a Wednesday afternoon or something, <laughs> on Wednesday morning. Um, but it was so good. And we actually bought him the book for Christmas as well. And I'm like, this is just amazing. I thought it was, Jonah Hill did an amazing job at the documentary style of it. Like the actual cinematography was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and it told its own story. But I think Stutz really simplifies so many complex topics around mental health, which is just like how much your actions can actually make a difference in your life during a season when your emotions feel like they're playing the lead. That's such a good way of putting it. It's like the actionable items and about Stutz funny. Uh, my partner, he ordered both of his books. And so they're in his <laughs> office now. And we're like in the middle of listening to the Armchair Expert uh, podcast mm -hmm. with him. And my boyfriend literally sent it to me last week. He's like, well, you have to listen to this. Yeah. I haven't listened yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I really fell in love with his candor and his kind of unconventional approach to therapy. I do think that there's, I mean, I'm just a huge proponent of therapy of all forms. And I think different things work for different people. I've always responded really well to direct, actionable things. And I don't do really well with talk therapy of, you know, um, therapists who just kind of affirm what I'm feeling and, you know, are supportive in that way. I'm like, no, I would like actual guidance. I want hard questions that force me to reflect on things and dig deep into how I feel. And with Sutz, I feel like he, it's really hard to, I think, make therapy and these tools accessible to mm -hmm. people because therapy is often a dynamic. It's, give and take from both sides of therapist and client. Whereas with the tools and the visuals that he puts out there in that documentary, it's just so helpful. Things like the maze, the three uncertainties in life that, um, the three inevitabilities of the mm -hmm. reality of life, pain, uncertainty, and work. Like knowing those things, for instance, that, you know, I do think that we live in a society where there's such a uh, discomfort intolerance. Mm -hmm. We're so... Uh, dependent on getting quick answers, quick fixes. We just want the straightest way through. And a lot of people are, you know, faced with the inability to cope. And I think we saw that a lot during the pandemic because it's really great to have tools like, you know, working out in classes and all of that stuff, things in your daily activity to make you feel like your best self. But then like when those things are stripped away from you, then what do you have to work with, you know? And um, I think that some of the tools that Studs offers they're so tangible, you know, and they're so accessible, you know, in the pyramid of needs. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that one. Exactly. Like, I just think they also get at the heart of the fact that even during a mental health, a tough mental health season for any person, you are still the main actor in that season. 
Like there is no force that is going to come and quote unquote save you in the sense of like, no one can just take all the stuff, hard stuff away and make it better. Mm-hmm. Like there still has to be a, a showing up and with support, with the right people around you, with the right medicine around you, with all the things that can come. But I loved how his perspective really involved you in the process, right? It was like, all right, if you want to feel better, you got to kind of try to give yourself a chance to feel better. Mm-hmm. And how much of that was also physical, right? I think that some, at least for me, so much of me going through a lot of the stuff that I go through mental health-wise, rooted in childhood stuff, is it could only live out in my head because my family didn't talk about mental health. So it was never reflected in my body. It was never reflected, mm-hmm. at least in the sense, eating disorder-wise it was, but in terms of like, <laughs> let me show you how it looks in my body or how it feels or let me emotionally, outwardly emote that this is what I'm feeling. It was all internal. And it was control that was happening internally. And so to invite your body in as an active participant in your mental health healing and the way he put it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I feel like regardless, working out will help you. Movement, mm-hmm. I should say. I, I've been trying to say movement a lot because I feel like when you say workout, it like people think, yes. like, okay, 40 minute class and like have to do mm-hmm. this. And it's like, no movement, go take a walk outside, you know, go stretch your body, feel your body be in your body. And there are things like that that Stud says. And I think it's, you know, I love what you say about, you know, focusing that you are the main actor in your mm-hmm. own life, you know, regardless of circumstance, everyone goes through difficult stuff. And I feel like a lot of the time there can be comparative suffering in yes. that of being like, my circumstances are so much heavier than someone else's or things like that. And we can all feel that way sometimes. But I think knowing that you have power and your ability to make those changes or get the ball rolling to make yourself feel better and take care of yourself in that way is extremely powerful. It's empowering. And it, I feel like also allows you to take control of your own life a little bit more in a way that's not like trying to just force yourself to not feel. I think there's a, there's a gray area there that I think a lot of people can mix up when it comes to their mental health. They think that they just have to kind of soldier on through it and get on with their day and just kind of continue doing what they're doing without addressing how they feel. Whereas this is like actionable items to actually change how you feel Mm -hmm. about the whole thing. And to do that, you have to accept how you feel in the first place, which I think is the hardest part about any mental health journey is like, oh no, I feel bad. And saying that out loud or identifying with that, it goes back also to the Burning Brown book, right? Which like, I can say I feel bad without saying like, I am a horrible person who is only ever sad because that's not my identity. It's just a feeling I am feeling. Those two books actually, or those two experiences, the book and the documentary probably pair well really together if you're trying to dive deep into this subject because I do think it it gives you that sense of autonomy over yourself while also thoughtfully instructing you on how to, to maybe get the ball rolling on things, particularly if you are not able to access any kind of mental health support in like a one-on-one setting. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think um, those tools, like you say, with that book and that documentary offer a lot of ways that you can kind of take accountability <laughs> in a really healthy way, you know, yeah. without being feeling like you're responsible for all your messes, you're responsible for cleaning yourself up. That thought itself can sometimes be a little overwhelming. And that's why I think people like to try to look to their circumstances as like, no, but mm-hmm. it's so hard. That's why I can't do it. And it's it, it's not really about that. And it's one of those things that I feel like is harder to explain to someone until they actually start to feel it for themselves. You know, that beginning of that process of what that feels like to kind of lift the burden a little bit. 
it also makes it possible, I think, to, and the reason why I like double down on this in this conversation is because being able to say like, I am the main actor in this situation gives me the agency to find my way through the tunnel. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it suddenly cures everything. It doesn't mean that suddenly I found all the answers to all my big questions, but it means that I have a say in how this turns out. And it feels like a burden at first, but that's actually like probably the biggest gift you can give to yourself when you're going through anything hard is like, I have a say in how this turns out. Yes. I am a huge proponent of that. Like that life doesn't happen to you. It's your life and you can create whatever path you want forward out of that. And it's not going to be without difficulty sometimes mm-hmm. and the work, but you do have that agency. And that's just a really, I think, powerful thing once you start to harness that. What other well-being things are you turning to right now in this season of your life? Something that I made a promise to myself to do more of now that I'm like, okay, I'm trying to root myself in California a little bit more and do that is really trying to spend more time with people in person, scheduling those hangouts. A lot of the time I feel like I always place, you know, my work schedule first and everything has to kind of just like squeeze in and fit around that. And if it can't, then I'll push it off, you know, for a couple of weeks. And now I'm starting to try to prioritize that more um, because it does incredible things for my well-being. And I think that that's something I didn't realize impacted me so much during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I speak of the pandemic, it's still ongoing, but <laughs> um, but in the height of things, when you were so removed from being able to talk with people, I remember that even getting together, like going to like my fiance's family house um, back, you know, throughout 2020, 2021, like in the later times, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. I'm like mm-hmm. six people at once. This is so overwhelming. Like, I don't know how to talk or be anymore. I'm just very mm-hmm. aware of like how many times I'm blinking and like, <laughs> you know, how <laughs> yeah. these awkward silences. And I just, I felt out of practice being around other humans. Mm-hmm. And I think that that definitely had an impact on me. And I didn't realize how much until I started, I feel like uh, going out of my way to make sure that I'm spending time with people that I care about and having that company and having different conversations, meeting up with different people. And it's so beneficial in mm-hmm. so many ways. And that was one of the things that um, Stutt says is uh, he's like, even a person that you don't really like to care about, you're <laughs> still going to walk away that. from it feeling like it's going to be good for you. I know. I love that he said that because I do think that we are starved of human connection and we don't know how to act in those situations. I'm the same exact way. And also like making friends when you move somewhere new is hard. Even if it's somewhere like LA, which probably has a lot of, um, you have probably a lot of connections and just given the space you're in and stuff. And it is like a major city. But regardless of where you've moved, if you're listening to this, it's hard to make friends as an adult and figuring out who those people are and how to like, hey, do you want to get coffee? Feels like a play date. And so mm-hmm. you're like, this is awkward. I don't know how to say this. What do I do? Well, it's like dating too because yeah. this person like me as much as I like them. Like, <laughs> you know, and that that can be a, I feel like, kind of nerve-wracking game. And it's vulnerable too, putting yourself out there and, mm-hmm. you know, asking another person to hang out more and showing interest in that way. But something that I, I do feel like adult friendships are really difficult. A, to even just find people that you have common ground with and that you want to be spending that time with. And then fostering that connection because everyone's lives are, you know, taken up with responsibilities. It is, you know, that's very real. But I also think something that's really beautiful about adult friendships is that you're not friends with someone just because it's situational anymore. Whereas in other chapters of life, I feel like whether it be working in an office, 
college, you're in situations where you're just surrounded by these people and naturally you, you know, develop connections with them and friendships with them that can definitely have substance and be real. But would you have maybe tried for that connection if you weren't just freely given that time together all the time? Maybe not, you know? And so I do think a beauty of adult friendships is that you get to actively choose who you're spending time with and to nurture that relationship, just kind of like dating. Yeah. And it also comes with the understanding too that when you're making adult friendships, you're both adults. And so you both have some level of the same kind of responsibilities, things that are time commitments that are on the other side of that friendship. And so I think that there's less of a push-pull because most times you're making friends also, I think, that are in the same life stages as you. Mm-hmm. And then there's less of a guilt of like, well, they're not going to understand that my life actually looks a lot like this. And this is what time available looks like for me. And that acceptance is also really great because I do think that you outgrow a lot of the relationships and friendships you have that you've made earlier in life through those situations of just like quote-unquote convenience, but just like you're in the same space or you're in college, you're in internships, you're at work. Um, And it's hard to make sure that those relationships grow at the same time in the same life ways. Totally. You know? And so I think that there's something really beautiful about adult friendships and them being at the same life stage for the most part and being like, okay, no, you get it. Like, you won't mm-hmm. feel weird about X, Y, Z thing taking priority. Totally. And I feel like I, I that really resonates with me because with a lot of my deeper friendships, we text each other, we'll leave voice notes for each other without any expectations of like, you know, I, I need this person to text me back or it's like I send it and they'll respond in their own time. And that's great, you know, unless something is urgent. Right. But I think everyone operates with the same understanding that there are other responsibilities and parts of our life that make it so that, you know, this time can't always be number one. But that as long as that effort is still being shown on both sides, there's still an understanding of the mutual things that we go through. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a really great space to start wrapping up the conversation because I have a really big question. And it kind of ties into friendship and relationships. But it's, for one, I think that the internet, I love the internet. I truly do. But I also have like a love-hate relationship because I think that it asks so much of people. Like, it's like, oh, if they wanted to, they would. And I don't think that that is true about friendships or relationships. I think everyone is going through something and like everyone mm. is just trying their best. <laughs> like, I, it's just not true, right? But you had this really great post that you put out um, a few days ago around this like state of the union check-in that you were doing with your fiance and those questions. And those are such great guiding questions. I do very similar thing with my boyfriend. And the questions vary in terms of like... Uh, how we phrase them, but they were pretty much the same, which is just like a little check-in that feels on paper. It looks like, oh, well, why are you having this such a like direct kind of conversation around these things? But I'm like, dude, this is like literally how we stay sane because at the end of the day, we're Mm -hmm. living in a space together, sharing our lives. And that comes with a lot of stuff. But I'd love for you to kind of walk me through that experience for you. Of what it was like to do those questions? Yeah. What those questions are and like how people can sit with their own version of those. Yeah. Um, so these check-in questions, I feel like it, it was interesting because reading them on paper, sometimes it can look a little like almost dry, mm-hmm. you know, like you're not talking to this person that you share life with and that <laughs> you're emotionally close to. But it actually, I feel like it gives you an opportunity to hear the inner thoughts of someone else about a shared topic 
in a way that you don't usually get in a day-to-day basis. You know, like Justin and I will talk about deeper emotional things all the time, but this is a designated space to be like, hey, so like one of the questions is like, um, in what ways have you felt like loved and seen by me recently? And sometimes some of those answers are unexpected because you're like, I didn't know that that mattered that much to Mm -hmm. you or that resonated and stayed with you the way that it did. Mental note to do that more in the future because we all have different ways of showing and receiving love. And I do think it's really important because sometimes I feel like people will get frustrated because they'll feel like even in a a friendship that something is like one-sided, you know, like, oh, they're not making the effort. And it's like, well, maybe they're making the effort in a different way. And I do think it's up to us to also communicate our needs around that, though. It's like, hey, like, yeah, I appreciate you sending me all of these Instagram posts because, you know, they're funny and I know that you're thinking of me, but I would actually love if, you know, I heard from you via text or voice note or call once in a while, you know, because we value things differently. And I think that it's really important to have that understanding of each other so that we can make efforts in the ways that actually matter and resonate. Yeah. And it comes down to really knowing yourself, right? And so much of well-being mental health work ends up coming down to that. Like how well do I know myself and the things that fill me up? And how well then can I communicate that to someone else? Because that our role in the world is really to belong in the world for as much as we like to cocoon and be introverted. And like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> it's my MO. <laughs> but like, I do think that the purpose of that is to some level to find the level of connections that make sense for us. And there is such a beautiful sense of agency that comes from like asking those questions specifically and making time for them that like you said gets lost in the sauce like in the middle of anything else during the month totally I mean this was an amazing conversation I wish I mean I honestly feel like we can go on forever yeah probably right (laughs) but I would love for you to share where people can find you on the internet my main platform these days is Instagram at living meanly it's a little play on my name Um, and that's usually where I'm at. I feel like stories is where I really enjoy spending my time these days. Yeah, that's where I'm at the most. Yeah. And then also TikTok at the same uh, username. I'm a little bit more unhinged on there. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we definitely have our like other personalities on TikTok. Like that's where I share more of like my music stuff and just deeper like written thoughts that don't show up on Instagram at all. It's funny how that's different, right? Right. Well, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll add all of Mina's links to our show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, or share. Happy to be here with a friend if you can. I'll catch you next Thursday with a new conversation. 